Welcome to another SayNoKNOW.org podcast. We discuss all things drug-related, including policy, crime, and research. We talk to professionals, researchers, and people with lived experience and discuss ideas on how we can make things just a little bit better. The Canadian Research Initiative of Substance Misuse has supplied funding to allow this podcast to take place. Our Say No initiative is part of the Chris and Prairies Network. Please check out all the incredible work they are doing in the field of addiction and research at chrismprairies.ca. Again, that's chrismprairies.ca. Please note that the views and opinions expressed within our podcast do not necessarily represent the views of Chrism or any of their members. The views in this podcast also do not necessarily represent the views of my employer or any organization I am associated with. And the same goes for all of our guests. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and head over to our Facebook page under Facebook backslash say no org or tweet us at say no org. Hey, Darlene Chalmers and Colleen Dell. Thanks a lot for sitting down with me today. Thank you. You guys have some interesting projects you guys are doing with therapy dogs. I understand. Can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah. Wow. Where to start? (laughs) We are here too with Subi. He's one of the therapy dogs we work with through St. John's Ambulance. We also have a program ourselves called Positive Support. It's run out of Drumheller Prison in Alberta. And then we also have work on a project with Audiamus and they work with veterans with PTSD. So I don't know what project we want to start on. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about uh, maybe positive support at Drumheller as a starting place, because that started, that's been around for a year and a half, coming up to two years, I think. And then Audiamus is a little more recent. And even actually before Drumheller is uh, our work starting at RPC. Correct. Yeah. That's actually where it, I think that's where it all started in the very beginning. Bringing dogs into the prisons. Yeah. Into the regional psychiatric center. It started with a student at the U of S was a practicum student who said, Hey, what if we brought dogs into RPC, which I think they had a dog or cats visiting here and there like 20 years ago or something. So um, yeah. So I think that's where we all started. We are already working with the dogs in the community through St. John's ambulance. And then St. John's ambulance kind of gave us the leeway to do a little bit different. Well, that kind of came later, but they gave us a leeway to work in a prison with the dogs. So yeah, so we started visits there in 2014. And what was the goal initially when you're deciding, okay, I want to take a dog into prison? What were you, what was your mindset? I think it was initially at the very beginning and and you started that right at the beginning to visit, to bring that Comfort, love, support. The goal is the St. John Ambulance, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, it was to do just that. And then we did that for a year and a half. And then Darlene came on and she started working with Subi. And we then took it from an animal-assisted activity, which was simply visiting and the, the comfort and the support that animals can provide. And we moved that towards an animal um, or animal-assisted therapy. So it was ourselves in the session with the dog, with the patient at RPC, and then also a service provider, a mental health professional. So that's where we are there now. And so Subi's the first service dog you guys introduced to the prison. Is that right? He would be 
I don't know. Did you start with him? Yeah, he's a, I started as a with Sub- therapy dog. As a therapy dog. A oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah. it was Subi and Kisby and Annabelle. All three had rotated at RPC. Mm-hmm. And now we also have a fourth dog, Ruby, yep. <laughs> who's Darlene works with as a uh, therapy dog at RPC. So we are there. It's a 24, 24 session program, 24 separate sessions. And we, we uh, Colleen and I alternate weeks. We um, have three participants that are part of the program uh, that changes depending where participants are at in terms of their goals. And we spend about 30 to 45 minutes with each participant with okay. their uh, mental health uh, provider. Uh, connected with them at RPC. And we uh, are there to be with the dog to and connect and work with the dog to connect with the prisoner, um, with the patient. And then uh, the healthcare provider uh, is really taking what's occurring in those sessions and um, connecting them back to that individual's um, larger goals. So is this like a regular counseling session then, or is it structured differently because there's a dog in a, in the room? I think that it's. I, I think that there's there's there are definitely therapeutic goals that are identified by the patient or participant and uh, his or her mental health care provider. Would it be a typical counseling session? No, I would say it isn't because um, and and whatever that might mean for someone, whatever comes to mind. I think it's uh, uh, much more fluid and dynamic. That's how I think about it because it's really about the moment and what's happening in the, each and every moment between that um, participant and the dog. So although there might be each session at the start of the session, a specific uh, goal or skill or that the participant might want to work on, and that can look the same each week. It depends on, that's up to the participant. But what happens with that is never quite the same. It can't be because it's it, it's different because we're different and the dog is different and and the participants different. So no, I wouldn't say it's a sort of when we think about counseling in kind of the uh, conventional sense. Right, the doctor on the one couch or this counselor yeah. on the one couch. <laughs> yeah, the absolutely not. Patients on the other, and, and then- it's um, much more. I think can be much more physical as well. Um, sort of movement because uh, the participants maybe engage with the with the dog moving around the room or it can be uh, much quieter um, it might be just connecting and sitting together and s- just having time to be with the dog and, and much more reflective I suppose okay yeah. so so in this example you're referring to there's there's a mental health professional who already has a relationship I assume with the patient in this case they're prisoners and then there's you and the dog in the room do you find that the air automatically changes when there's a an animal in the room during a session like that? Oh, absolutely. Watching the participant uh, come through the door and watching the response of each of the dogs, and they all respond similarly in this way, just with their uh, level of excitement and the greeting mm-hmm. right away, immediate. It's instant. It's spontaneous, yeah. right? And we sometimes think about it, or we've talked about it as spontaneous rapport. It's right. instant, that connection. So to come and spend time, come through a door, and you're greeted by so much happiness and excitement, and I would say love right. from that right. dog, right. absolutely, absolutely alters the 
experience of that environment. Oh, no completely. question. Yeah. I mean, nobody in prison is walking up to you with a big smile on their face. No. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, making it very obvious that they're happy to see you. But there is a smile, though, when, right. when that person comes through the door and greets the dog, and they're greeted by the dog, too. Right. So it's this very cool kind of interaction and to watch that connection unfold right right before right before our eyes and just to stand back and and let that sort of go where it might go so going is there anything else has this ever been done before of bringing an animal into a, a prison setting that you're aware of i think there's over 260 programs in the states with the latest survey the really unique thing about some of the ones that we do in canada and we only have six or seven programs across the country, in, and three of them are ours, <laughs> is that it's about the welfare of the individual. So in the States, a lot of the programs are training service dogs or they're training dogs that were otherwise going to be euthanized that can go into families or what have you. But it really is focused on the animal, right? And there, obviously, there's byproducts that are really amazing for the individuals, but they're not, they're not really seen or they're not developed as part of the program. That's not how those programs are sold, right? So I think the unique thing, what we're saying is, yeah, it is about the wellness or the well-being of the patient or the prisoner, but it's also about the animal as well. Obviously, they're getting something and their wellness is a really important part of everything, right? So when you look at the dogs in these situations, they are about as happy as happy could be. And just this last week, um, it was really interesting Yet again, because we had two dogs this time doing something very specific. And I can think of the one individual who came in who has a hard time really connecting. And just that smile, like Darlene was saying, he he must have stood there for two months just smiling. And I was trying to say what we were doing. And I was like, he's not listening. He's just (laughs) Just enjoying the moment. Right. Right. There's two dogs and two dogs that he's been able to connect with. And he has this relationship with since September, right? And he struggled to make that relationship because he doesn't want that relationship. He doesn't want to let that guard and that barrier down. But we weren't going away. And his worker is amazing, right? And saying, dog's here. No, don't want to be part of that. Next week, dog's here. Who is it? Okay, I'll go, right? And then now he's coming consistently. But to see that individual happy, happy to be with the dog, but also the dogs themselves and what they get out of it. Right. Right. So it really is, it is both way Oh, and those dogs are just so happy because they're making these connections with individuals as well. And they're just about, yeah, thrilled to be there. And so, sorry, the point here was that, so we, it happens every time. And even if Darlene's bringing in practicum students, I bring in students to watch or others from, from the facility, the dogs consistently go to the inmates. They do not, they might say hi to the worker, but they consistently, and even if it's a brand new inmate who comes in, the dog knows who knows who to go to. Really? And so it's really, I think, recognizing these incredible innate abilities that the dog has. So like Darling said, if you start your session and the dog is super excited and wants it to be high energy, or, you know, like with Ruby, we're sharing the story where Ruby... The, the individual is really apathetic and not much was going on, very sad or whatever. And Ruby's nudging him to get going. I can't nudge him. You wow. can't nudge him, right? And then all of a sudden, you know, maybe 10, 15 minutes later, he's opening, 
So is that an innate ability these dogs have? And- I think so, for sure. To really tune in like um, to what that energy sort of through uh, their own awareness. I, th- I think that innate ability to really know their environment as well as through, you know, other other skills that they have, particularly scent and being able to pick up on anxiety and fear and those sorts of things. And I think that's a great example, Colleen, just talking about that one particular yeah. individual and 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 for Ruby to to just hang in there and and she was in his face, like just licking right. and trying all over him, trying to get something to come up, you know, or to, or yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And how so. else can you do that? Like, how else would you be able to do that in that environment? Mm-hmm. We can't. Yeah. No, it's humans. No, we yeah. can't. And and tu- and physical touch. I know in a yeah. lot of, I, I'm assuming in a lot of inmates because they're the same people that I deal with on the street. Mm-hmm. A lot of them have disadvantages, some cognitively as well. And yeah. And if you've been raised in an environment where physical touch and emotion isn't isn't something that is utilized. Or has been harmful. Yeah, or has been harmful, right? the opposite. Yeah. And so what's okay and, uh, or appropriate and uh, both receiving as well as sharing or giving that to. And there's just so many opportunities for individuals to develop that or to learn about it, maybe in ways that they've not known about it previously. Where, as Colleen has just said, any uh, you know, healthcare provider, support person, counselor, whatever it might be, just can't do that, right. not in the same way. Have you had that feedback from any of the mental health professionals you've been working with during a counseling session saying, <laughs> talking about like, this is, it just made my job easier or I'm being able to mm-hmm. get through maybe some of these cognitive behavioral type therapy techniques easier or better? Have you had any of that sort of feedback? Well, I think what happens with a lot of the places we're at, we end up with the patients or prisoners or what have you that we're not sure what else to do with them right? Because they're at that. I've been in for 18 years and I'm totally shut down. All right. right? So let's bring in the dog and see what happens. So for those workers, I mean, it's, I think it's energizing for us too, because we come in and we're like, this is all great. It's pretty good. This ain't too bad, right? Because we get to see all this amazing stuff happening between the dog and the prisoner. But from the other side, and you have the worker saying, oh my God, gosh, I can't believe he did that. Or did you see, or did you see that? It's like, wow, it's, you know, I've never seen him do that or haven't seen her do this. Or I can't think of a uh, example right now. (laughs) Well, I think that um, one example, and I don't know if it fits, but uh, I think of um, an inmate just thinking about at Drumheller Mm -hmm. first go around and with an inmate uh, and he was... um, I think certainly there were walls up initially and and hard to know, you know, how it was going to sort of go along in terms of the program for for him. And then just making a connection with one of the dogs, uh, actually Annabelle, Mm -hmm. that who would have ever thought, um, (laughs) you know, here's someone who's a lifer. There's, you know, keeping all emotion out of out of it uh, and really you know, coming in fairly stoic and, and, you know, that kind of a presence to really connect with, you know, here's Annabelle and connect in such a way that in, in the words, in the words of the inmates, let their guard down, um, sort of on an emotional level and, and really just have the opportunity to, 
um, share some of that emotion as well. Right. That that they're just not going to have an opportunity to no. do in that environment, that setting, not in that way. And there were so many times the program that we do at Drum Heller is different than what we do um, other places. The very specific there is is called canine assisted education, right? So the dogs are there for a week and they're working, the inmates are working on training the dogs, but at the same time, they're working on their own correctional plans. And for all of them, there is some substance, um, usually opioids, right? right. There, there is that. And so we're always working towards that and working within that. You know, it's people have observed, geez, I'm surprised, or I would have never thought for that participant that right. that would have happened. Yeah. Yeah. And we did, when we did interviews with staff, we absolutely heard that saying again, and actually I just, this was at the other facility the other day. It's like, you realize who's in the program, right? And it's like, again, we don't see that because that person is able to let their guard down. They're able to make that connection. And we talk about it, Darlene and I. So you have that connection. And when I talk about it, we open the heart just a little bit. And now the service provider can do what they need to do because that space has been created, right? And I think, What's really interesting, because then people think, well, what about in the longer term? Is there impacts, right? What about you got to take the dogs away? So we ask each and every person, no matter where we've been doing programming, um, is that dog, you know, would you rather have not done it because you made these beautiful bonds with the dogs and it's really hard to leave them then? And they're like, absolutely. Because that connection and that bond continues on. And we do a lot, like we do booster sessions every three months or at Drumheller every six months. We hand out pictures. They get pictures all the time from the animals. And so those connections absolutely happen and they maintain. And we hear stories of inmates that, you know, the pictures are on the wall and says, I look at Kisby every day. She gives me the strength to go on and says, don't give up. And it's like, what the heck is happening here? Well, that's very insightful for you guys as, as professionals instilling a program like this that you ensure that, you know, you're you're kind of mitigating those factors that could potentially make this person into a sadder state of despair or something if they've here's yet another loss from a great connection they've made. So that's great to hear that you guys are, you send them photos and do these yeah. updates. And we connect, uh, we've been connecting by video conference yeah. as well. So face to face with the dogs there. Yeah. So that's with the um, inmates at Drumheller. Yeah. And uh, as another way to continue the relationship. But I just want to mention something, you know, it's, um, it's interesting. So as Colleen was saying, asking the participants, are you glad you did it, even though the dogs are going to be gone? It just made me think about the idea of, of kind of an enduring bond. You know, I think of it that way. That's something to be looked at, right? right. So how then, how individuals can carry that with them when they may no longer have that direct um, so looking at a bond like that almost as a skill, life skill. That well, as a life to... skill, but uh, you know, maybe un- looking at how do we understand then how does that work then to help an individual over the long term right. as, a, as a source of support okay. or as a source of comfort? I think it's something that just endures and it's something for me anyway, and I think probably for both of us, but that is really quite remarkable, right. you know, that, that, that I'm learning about anyway, yeah. that that they hold that connection or that bond in a way that it does endure, even though the dog may not be with them or they're not, even though they may not be participating in the program. 
You know, Darlene, it reminds me, someone had asked me at the Issues of Substance Conference after presenting on the Drumheller program or one of the programs, and they said that very question around, you know, oh, and you take away the dog, that's not so good. You're going to do another loss, what have you. And the way I think about it in my own life is my grandmother. So my grandmother passed many, many years ago, but she was such a support for me growing up. She's still with me right. no matter what, right? So maybe that's that... That enduring, it's, it's just there. It's just a part of me. It's the belief in me. It's the support that I have. And I think when we think about or we work with the people who are the most marginalized, the most oppressed, the most who, who have nobody visiting, who do not have somebody doing right. that, then that dog becomes really the center. And for one individual, just thinking Jim Heller, I mean, at that individual, Jim Heller, Annabelle became a family member in that he refers to her as his little sis. Oh, well. Right? And and <laughs> yeah, some great conversations and writing that he's done, like a card to her or what have you, around that because they're together, mm-hmm. right? That's family. That's become family for this person. And, you know, through the program too, it, it ex- you know, building of connections and wh- however that's perceived, whether that's family, you know, with, uh, you know, him referring to himself as a big bro. And- yeah. Was this, was this, did this person happen to be a gang member or at some point? I don't know. Oh. You might not know. No, sure. He's been the, in for a very the, long time. Yeah. The, the terminology that he's using there, you, you might not actually recognize the depth <laughs> that he's going, but referring to her as little sis is referring to someone he'd kill for on the street as a, as a friend. So, so he's probably using that terms. There's a good chance that he, he's actually taking this to a level that you guys might just be thinking, Oh, a nice cute little sibling. He's saying, no, like I will, I will kill for this dog. Oh, how fascinating. You know, it could, could be. Yeah. And you know, just, it, it brings up that example at, at the end of our week, the first week at drum Heller, we do uh, open house and every in me in the program then has five, six friends come from the institution. And just to see him from the very first day with like, you know, arms crossed, whatever, why are you here? Because my parole officer told me to kind of thing, <laughs> yeah. right? To doing that care for the other outside of himself, right? Because so Annabelle, was, she did the, they do this obstacle course in friends. There's about 40 people and it's all great. And then as Annabelle, is a bulldog and decide okay. to sit down and she didn't want to do it anymore. And she actually looked kind of afraid after she did a few times. She's like, I don't want to do this. You can see that. He was sitting at the back of the gym. He came from the back of the gym. He picked her up and he took her and said, you don't want to be doing this, do you? Something like that, to yep. that effect. He went and sat at the back of the gym with her, surrounded by his friends. She was on his lap and she had this huge doggy smile and she's like, <laughs> right? Yep. With the tongue and everything. And it was just like, wow, you were able to see that she wasn't comfortable. Right. You in that week were able to make that connection that you were able to read her body language as a dog and you just read her for her and you saved her from yeah. a situation where she wasn't comfortable. And I'll always remember that because it was, because of course it's my dog. So I'm watching. Okay. She's not comfortable. Oh, he saw that. He went and got her and looked and so I'm watching and she's just as happy as can be sitting back there with him. So that tells you a lot because she is comfortable. He's giving her huge support because we are able to read the dogs all the time, which is a great insight into the individual as well. Right. I think that that's, I'm glad you told that story because I remember you mentioning a little piece about that when we were in Calgary together and um, that ability to teach 
kind of a hardened criminal, for lack of a better term, empathy. I don't understand. I, I could never figure out a way that, okay, we're arresting these guys. I've seen the, ha- the heinous crimes they're committing out here. They're yeah. obviously not able to empathize with their victim based yeah. on the crimes they've committed. They then go to jail. It's like, well, how do you teach someone empathy? And yeah, there's all this therapy, but I know these guys and I know the wall that they would put up. And as soon as I heard that story with Annabelle and him empathizing, it's like, holy shit, you guys just did it. Like you figured out a way to break a hardened criminal down and have him feel for somebody else or something else. That can- yeah, I mean, these it, it happens. And I think uh, with that particular example too, you know, just the, the nurturing and caretaking, you know, so I think about empathy, but those other things are connected with empathy as well. And that was all right before us. You know, it's, um, again, I, I use the word remarkable and it, and it is because it is, yeah. these things continue to happen or, or, you know, people's experiences. You know, we see lots of experiences like that. And I just, for me to mention too, that, you know, we're talking about the program, but to also mention that, you know, the program along with whatever supports to, you know, continuing on and programming. Um, I think it's just another, another support yeah. that's available for, for people right. um, in this case, inmates. It's, it's, um, it's, it's not to say that, you know, it sort of trumps all other no, programs right. in any way, but it's, it's another avenue for the, in, for, for an inmate or participants yeah. to learn, right. you know, learning um, and working toward whatever their correctional plans or goals yeah. are, right? So, right. yeah. Well, can you, can you walk me through the the in the Drumheller um, program that you guys have? Can you walk me through what is physically happening? Like, what is what is the program? I, I know you mentioned that there's some training that you do with the inmate and the dog. Can you walk us through like what is this exactly? What does it look like? Yeah, sure. I'll start us off. So we look at we're there for four and a half. Three and a half yeah. days, four, four and a half, four and a half, four days. And it's a combination of providing education. So information and education, everything we do is related to the dog. It comes back to the dogs. And we look at how over that time that we're there that we can support and help that inmate participant um, develop a connection or relationship with the dog. And so everything that we do in developing, I guess, in one way, I, I was going to say a curriculum, but at least a program format mm-hmm. is based on the idea of bond, trust, and respect. And those are sort of core principles or goals within positive support that we continue to build everything that we do, whether it's teaching obedience or some basic obedience they're working on, everything comes back to bond, trust, and respect. And then, of course, always connecting it to their own their own goals. So it would include providing information. You know, we spend part of the time in a, a small room, like a classroom, just giving inmate participants information about the dog, learning about the dog, learning about their own innate kind of skills. And, uh, you know, they're more than just a wagging tail and, right. you know, kind of make us happy. But really, those skills that they can bring and how they can certainly contribute to our lives. We talk about on trust respect. What's important kind of underlying a lot of that is thinking about the other. So if we were in there and we were talking about, well, don't bully a person. And this is why a person bullies because they have like low self-esteem or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But when we say this is why the dog acts the way the dog acts. So if these, if 
you know, Subi's lying on the floor with Ruby over there and they can't come and sit with us right now and they're yawning. It's because they're stressed. It's not because they're tired, right? So there's a lot of learning about dog behavior, dog psychology. And I think that forces them to think outside themselves and think, well, what is that? Well, that's really different. I didn't know a dog was doing. Oh, I thought the dog really liked me. That's why it was licking me. No, no, no. This dog is licking you in this situation because of X, Y, or Z, right? Oh, interesting. So kind of seeing the world or their experience of the world from another view. And I think that is really important to understand why other people are acting the way they are right? or or what have you, right? So that it really, it shifts it. And we're constantly relating that to their correctional plans and uh, substance abuse, right? right? So it maybe provides a, a glimpse of a different way of looking at their substance abuse or, and it's really hard because so much of it is so organic, like Darlene was talking about with the animal assisted therapy, depending on what situation or how that person's energy is that day, the dog's going to respond in a certain way. And if, you know, the dog came up, it was just leany as a person doesn't really want to walk or anything. Well, maybe that's what that person needs. And we right. let that happen. Right. And maybe that person then just has a conversation with the dog and we're not even really doing much. They're just doing what they're doing. Right. right? And that's what they need because they're regulating their heartbeat through petting the dog, right? And we teach them, you know, petting from the head all the way to the tail. This is how you're kind of calming yourself. And then you can transfer that to other ways of doing that on your own. Right. right? So it's really hard. It's so many, it's so hard sometimes to really describe what's happening because so much of it is so so organic or someone will bring up, oh, well, the dog's doing that. And all of a sudden, okay, change that curriculum. We are now going to do this. Right. We're going to talk or watch this video about dog training or what have you. So we have a structure. Yeah. But it's always with the with the idea that this can change. Right. Because at any given moment. And as Colleen said, you know, even with an inmate on a particular day, you know, different sort of frame of mind or mood or whatever it might be. I would even say within different moments of the day that changes and we see that, too. So. There, there is a structure to the program, information about the dog, communication, body language, looking at then how we connect that to, as Colleen said, their correctional plan and, of course, substance abuse. And then, you know, there's some sitting down and, and providing some information about that mm-hmm. where we have time for that. And about the rest, themselves? No, uh, sorry, about the, about the dogs or about oh, okay. the program or about what we're going to be doing. And then it's into the gym. We're a lot of time in the gym, so there's a lot of movement. Okay. Moving around, lots of moving around. So we're not ever sitting too long. And they talk about that of being... So when you say, we do ask the question, how is this similar or different than other programming? It's the hands-on component. Experiential. The experiential, right? And what other program can you like... You know, if you were in a classroom, okay, everyone have a 10-minute break, whatever. So it's like, okay, everyone have a 10-minute break. We're all in the yard playing Frisbee with the dog. Right. So everyone's energy actually really kind of yeah. jumps up. And then the dogs are like, good, they got their energy out. So they're a little bit calmer, right? As they come back into the gym or the classroom or what have you. So you just think about as an outsider looking at how, what are we doing? What is the dog bringing that is completely different that we can't? So not right. saying, in, like Darlene said, in no way is this program or the dog better than. We never look at it that way. What can the dog augment? What can the dogs do that we as humans just can't? Right. No matter what, 
another human will think that we're judging them. Yeah. Especially the. Oh, ones. I'm sure. Right. The <laughs> dog. We're is very sensitive. Yeah. <laughs> People. <laughs> and the dogs aren't. Then they know everyone says over and over again, the dog doesn't judge me. The dog exactly. listens to me. Exactly. The dog doesn't care what I did. Yeah. What I've done. A, what I've done. Doesn't dog doesn't care what I look like. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. 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 That Interesting. Was a big one. So, so there's a big education proponent where where they're learning dog training skills is kind of the underlying dog behavior ob- communication objective, yep. but it's actually worked into their own personal development plan. Yep. And then you go into the gym and and do what? You have like a goal of an obstacle course or what? Or we might have, um, you know, we're going to start off with uh, really beginning obedience and knowing full well that the majority of individuals have had, you know, they have dogs in their lives and they may have interacted with dogs in whatever way, but we're saying we're going to, with these dogs, we're going to show you some beginning um, obedience, some, some basic skills in there. So one of the things always about you know, you need to first build that that relationship, make that connection. And you can do that by, let's just start off walking. You're going to connect by just walking with the dog. So on leash and being able to move around in that way and connect, it might be things like asking the dog to sit. And that might sound like it's <laughs> easy, but it's not necessarily an easy no. thing to do because everyone's going to have a different way in terms of how they're going to do that, how the energy that might come out, um, how much more assertive or passive they might yeah. be in that, and even what they can learn from something as basic as asking a dog to sit. So there's some learning about oneself. There's learning about how an individual then relates to another, in this case, the dog, how the dog as another being responds to that individual, where it's not necessarily taken personally because you're with a dog and the dog's not judging. The dog's just acting, responding to whatever you're giving them. Right. Right? And it's great to see when we're like, okay, the dog's on your left and right. You have to connect. The dog isn't going to come with you if you don't do this right. And you make that connection. The dog isn't going to listen. And so when we have to correct them, I'm going to use just that word now, but when we have to say, oh, well, remember, maybe don't say it so harsh because she's kind of looking at Leah like she don't trust you yet, right? And then they say it again. It's like, oh, remember, oh, remember. It's such an easy way to give feedback. Right. Maybe that's better than a word correction. Yeah. It's a great yeah. way to give feedback and they're so open to it because so many times they're not. Well, and they're also motivated to fit in. They want, they want, they're motivated to get the dog to complete the And task. you want the dog to, to yeah. do what it is. So we were able to then, you know, on the last day, have an inmate with leaves the dog in the, like we're all in a separate room of the gym with all the gym equipment. And there's like 40, 50 of us in the main gym. And the dog actually stayed like how, that. That's because of that connection. Is the only reason. And then they're like, hey, come or whatever. Right. And they learned that through that week. So that has to be extremely, I'm happy when I see it happen, right? And I think what's unique for us here using dogs that are therapy dogs that are not, you know, dogs from shelters or dogs that are what have you, is that we're working with dogs who are really, already are really well skilled. So I think what happens is we accelerate really, really quick. Because that dog knows how to sit or that dog knows how to walk with you, but that dog is not going to do it unless you ask them properly and what oh, have you. Oh, so, you're so not, part of the, your training with yeah, the dog. So you're not 
taking a dog that you have to work for a week just to get him to sit and calm down because it's a shelter dog or what have you. So I see we were able to see really quick wins and progress really, really quick. You still have to do it properly and you have to have that bond and that connection and ask the dog and work with them properly. Right. But it's, it happens really, really quick because the dogs are really well-skilled. Well, and so then who, whose job is that to train up these dogs? So they're Ours. Ready? Yours, <laughs> you our, it's our work, right? <laughs> yeah, it is our work <laughs> yeah. to always. And so we would, we are always working with the dogs always. Wow. So hence why you have one here with us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Always doing that. And it's important for the dogs, you know, to main, maintain that learning maybe new things, but that consistency is really important in maintaining that level of skill. And I'd say that level of knowledge, the right. knowledge, right? Yeah. An interesting piece to this too, is that we've got uh, four really different dogs, yeah. oh, okay. personalities, ages in their age, breed, and just, I'd say personalities. So, oh, yeah. and it, what it, that does is it provides an opportunity for the inmates to spend time with each of the dogs, but really learn that they're just not all the same because they're a dog. Right. Yeah. She or he responds in this way, but how come, how come she doesn't? Oh, well, because why do you think that might be? You know, she's kind of in the world in a different way than Subi, who is here with us today, might be, yeah. right? So it just gives so many more opportunities than for learning. Right. Right. And I love like even that they are very different ages. So, you know, you got the younger puppy, two years old or getting out of that stage, right? So much more patience you have to have with her than the 10 and a half year old. But then yet with the 10 and a half year old who is just go, 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 go. They had to be, they had to really recognize that you can't play Frisbee with her for 10 minutes, right? We can do three and then they had to kind of modify, well, how are we going to play with her? Because her hips are going to get sore. She's right. 10 and a half. She can't jump around that much. Right. right. So they really had to respect her as an individual. And even though she looks like she wants to play Frisbee and you all want to play Frisbee with her, what are you going to do so that she's happy and you come up with that? Mm-hmm. Right. And they did. And that was really, yeah, that was great. Just And again, it's just an exact example. There's just all these things that are going on that just happen. Right. So it's just this all encompassing and it's it is sometimes difficult for us to answer. So what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) You gotta come, you gotta gotta see see it. it. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you ask the individuals themselves, right? And they're able to speak very eloquently about what it is doing. And are they uh volunteering for this program, right? Was this offered up to the masses in in Drumheller and the prisoners said, Yeah, I'll do it. the parole officers had approached yes. individuals. Yes. Oh, I see. Yeah. And prior to that, the warden had approached individuals who, again, drug abuse. What else are we going to do? We need something to move them along. Right. We need something. Yeah. They don't yeah, seem to be progressing. Okay. Yeah, to help them. Yeah. So let's try the dog. Mm-hmm. So what do you think this is going to do to recidivism rates? I think this could play a factor. Mm, boy, that's a good that's question. A good, I don't know. <laughs> do we have some sort of measurement tools in the long term built in yet, or is this program too new? We did so far. No, no one's really been out. Yeah, um, there was one from the very beginning who's doing absolutely amazing. I think that in terms of recidivism, we haven't talked a lot about that. I th- mm-hmm. because I think the goal of this program of positive support 
really is to support inmates in their current kind of context, right? Okay. I, not to say that it's not going to be of some benefit forward thinking or in right. the future, but you know, what are you needing now that's going to help you to get where you want to be? Right. So, but a lot sure do talk a lot about volunteering in the community. Yes, yeah. They want to do uh, um, ETAs in the community at the Humane Society. Oh, well. Yeah. Um, a lot talk a lot about wanting a dog in the future and or how they might actually what they've learned going forward sort of in the future with their own dog or if they get another dog you know what they've learned and how right. that's going to yeah. look different mm-hmm. which is that that's huge actually yeah it is it, it really is so maybe as a way of thinking about doing things differently right you yeah. know and i can i can kind of use that as a metaphor to apply to other yeah. things right so maybe that connects or relates to recidivism in some way but we don't know i mean no we're not looking at that. It's a right secondary now. study that often done, I suppose. There were a, there are very few. There were a couple that were done in the states, and they found just like with everything else. I mean, it's very hard, you know, to do a randomized control trial of just right. that because right. there's so much going on. But they did find just like the outcomes of every other program. You know, in the immediate term, yeah, it's looking good. In the longer term, doesn't seem to have an impact like two, three years down the road. But it's really hard to say. I mean, yeah. so much changes. You're not going to say this one thing. Right. right. These there's all these contexts. So just the recidivism research itself is really difficult. But does it make a difference now? Absolutely. Can it have that impact in the future? And again, if we're talking about that enduring bond, that connection that stays. And we see this with um, we work with methadone clients too. And you know, those are very turmoil situations where people are on, off, and all the social determinants of health, right? And all the everything that they have to struggle with every day. But knowing that that bond's there or receiving that picture or just dropping on and in and asking how the dog is, it's a big deal. Yeah, it is. Right? Because you came in to ask, which means now maybe we can connect you to the food bank or they could connect you to thinking of starting methadone again or right. Spoxone or whatever, right? So that relationship, the dog helps make that connection with, the center and with the staff and and so forth is is a really big deal. It's a really big deal. So you're bringing these the service dogs right into the methadone clinic. Is that where we bring the therapy dogs? Yeah, into there and sometimes with different clients in different places, whether they be hospitals or what have you, of just offering that support. Right. Right. So maybe a good segue into talking about the service dogs, because you had mentioned it, the service dogs, and mm-hmm. we're saying the therapy dogs. Right. So yeah. there, there is a difference um, in terms of therapy dog and service dog, and that relates to their role specifically. So with the service dogs, service dogs are dogs that are, and Colleen, I'm going to let her hand it over to her here in a second, but just... There is a difference, important to understand. And with service dogs, they are they have particular tasks that they perform or that they're they contribute to their handler, owner, person's um, life and helping them to function day to day in their life. Whereas with the therapy dogs, they can visit people, you know, just to bring it's an informal thing to bring them some happiness, joy, comfort. Or they can, as we're doing at um, RPC, a therapy dog is involved with a mental health professional with where there are 
specific goals set up related to that therapeutic goals, that uh, client or patient or inmate's uh, treatment plan. So the the role then in, in, in what they're doing looks looks quite different. Okay. So in talking about service dogs, I'll hand it over. Yeah. So I think absolutely. So when we are talking the service dogs are the dogs you're seeing in the restaurant or what have you, they're helping a veteran with over um, their PTSD symptoms, post-traumatic stress, right? Or operational stress, injury symptoms and so forth. So that dog may know how to do, wake a person up out of a nightmare. Oh, okay. right. So these are the things that the service dog can do. So in addition to that, though, where we became interested in this and doing research around that with the Audiamas group, which uh, trained dogs for veterans with PTSD right. and other first responders, was looking, there is also that bond aspect, right? So everything we've been talking about, what the dog gives, like a therapy dog was, we are, you know, in our kind of foyer into this, we're like, wow, that's happening too with the service dog. So the service dog is not just there as a, you know, quote unquote tool to help that veteran, you know, get outside so they can go shopping or to wake them up from a nightmare or what have you, or provide that support or help them regulate or what have you. It, there is also that bond and that connection, that bond from the work that we've done is really what kind of everything is built on that. It's through that dog and that connection. So we've had, we've done a couple, we're doing a larger study right now with veterans with opioid and we're just going to in three weeks start that so we're looking at things like bond we're looking at the drug use uh the doocy i forget what stands for (laughs) you know whether their drug use is going up and down a number of things but also we've done a review of a couple of veterans with their prescription histories including opioids and illicit drugs. And you've seen incredible, like phenomenal decrease once really? the service dog was in their life. Wow. And then through some qualitative work we've done with them to do this work before we can do this larger study, things that came out were around the, the biological, the, the mental, the physical, the spiritual, all of that. And they talked about things like one quotes that stand out to me or you know, my 10 year old can have craft dinner, but my dog can't get his food for itself. So I have to feed that dog. I have to get off that couch. Right. Right. Things like, I remember one was really good and said, I something around nobody can be with me 24 seven, but the dog can. Right. No human can do that. No human could, yeah, right? can handle it. Yeah. So to have that that connection and then to build off that connection in all these other areas is what we're looking at. So we'll have six veterans in that study and we'll follow them through for nine months. And really unique about that is we're working with Nate Osgood through the U of S as well. And now we are doing things, the Fitbit, just for some heart rate and some other things, not the best measure, but it's a baseline. But we're also, he has an app called Ethica app and he's used it for a lot of different things. And now we're going to be using it with the veterans. So the veterans will get a question four times a day around a question from the ones that we have and they'll have to they'll be around bond in all these areas right, right that we're looking at so they'll be able to answer that on their phone on the app for this nine month period and then the dog also has it's called subi has one on it's called an eye beacon and it can tell how far the dog is from the veteran oh. right so if the veteran is saying in their app answers, yeah, the dog isn't doing anything for me today. But we can tell that we haven't really been near the dog today, Uh (laughs) right? So that's why the dog isn't doing anything (laughs) because you're on the couch. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's going to be really exciting to have this different insight. And we'll also interview 
their key support as well as their service provider once every like at the end of the first, third, sixth, and ninth month mm. to get this kind of triangulation, I guess you'd say of understanding we without a doubt, it works. If someone says, does it work? Yeah. It works. Yeah. It works. Don't don't even ask that question anymore if it works. The question is how. Right. Right. And so I know this is skipping a little bit, but I think it's really important to say too that the answer is not a dog <laughs> in every prison. No. The answer is not a dog in every emergency department. We have them here in Saskatoon, right? That is not the answer. But we are starting to do some work too that looks around how can we talk about animals? How can we recognize animals as part of our human well-being? And maybe you want to talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, I think that um, in one area or one way to do that and, and, and just bringing it into sort of common parlance, right? Just everyday language. And it's something that we, it's just there. And it isn't right now. But one of the ways that that can certainly happen is... You know, even for um, service providers to be bringing in to their conversations with people they're supporting or clients, asking a simple question is, do you have a pet? Right. Yeah. And if so, how many, what breed, you know, as a way to open the window and really recognize that for many people, that animal is an important part of their support system, important part of their family, and an important part of their life. And so to look at that as a way to, as, as a resource for service providers when they're working with individuals. And we talk about that in the area of substance, yeah. you know, substance use, oh, yeah. um, really important. But to be doing that and that to, to really move that forward as a, you know, an accepted form of practice. Absolutely. Um, because now, right now, it's not really acknowledged. I mean, there are some people doing it, but I think it could go a lot Further. And we have the survey that we did, right? Yes. Through the three provinces, <laughs> the three prairie provinces. Yes, the survey. So we looked at, um, you know, within service providers, one particular profession and that social workers. And the survey asked questions about social workers' knowledge of the human-animal bond or human-animal interaction. We, we replicated that survey. It was done in Nova Scotia, and the person in Nova Scotia um, replicated from uh, the, the originator of the survey in the U.S. But uh, the findings are similar in that people, there are some practitioners who are practicing with very little knowledge, education, and that there are people may have information about the human-animal bond, but uh, don't have the education. Right. Right. So to be able to make that available is a really yeah. important part of going forward, I guess, of competent and ethical practice. Right. Well, just, just going back for a minute from what Colleen said about watching someone suffering from PTSD and seeing their opioid prescription decrease with that bond, it just reminds me of Joanne Hari's book, Chasing the Scream. He his biggest line in the book is the opposite of sobriety or the opposite of addiction is <laughs> not sobriety, it's connection. connection. And yeah. I think that is a, that's a foolproof example of Absolutely. that. And it doesn't matter what or who you're connecting with, whether it's a volunteer group, whether it's a friend, family, an animal yeah. connection in general, uh, takes you out of the cage you put yourself in. And, and I think that's what the root cause of addiction really is. And we can, yeah. we Absolutely. can find some solutions there. And through the methadone clinic, like Darlene was saying about asking a question, we now have on when someone calls in to 
do that initial, hey, I'm interested in Suboxone or methadone or whatever. Um, we now have a question that the person asks and says, what are the supports in your life? And does that include an animal? Interesting. Right? So just, and we're, we're going to follow through on that just to find out that did that question make a difference to a person? And I know there was a situation at the methadone clinic last week where uh, uh, one of the clients was suicidal and was with the worker. And because we're there a lot and we're having these conversations about the dogs and the animals all the time, the worker's like, I'm going to ask her about her cat. She loves that cat. And to hear her share how that conversation changed, right? Because she reminded her about that connection that she had with that animal. And that was was beautiful to hear, but even more beautiful that she was able to draw on that, right? So what we have a project right now we're just going to start working on is there was a national survey for recovery in Canada last year by the Canadian Centre on Substance Use and Addiction. And we found, we had Saskatchewan-specific examples or findings around, we added a question on it around have pets or animals been an important part of your recovery and a question about maintaining your recovery. So we took our findings from that and we've created two beautiful posters or CCSA has and we will have those in our methadone clinic. And just to see then, we'll follow through with focus groups with staff and to see if that changed the environment and allowed for questions about animals to come up, right? right. And then we have some squishy balls and other things we're doing around animals, right? Because it, it's clear on our nationals, the national numbers were higher, but I remember the numbers for Saskatchewan right now. 68% of people who answered the survey, the recovery survey, said that animals or pets were an important part to their own recovery. Oh, wow. And 40% say today they may they they continue to help them maintain their recovery. Some of these people have been recovered for 40 or probably could be 40 years, you know, 25 right. years and right. some for 10 days depends right. how they defined recovery. So those animals when we put that question on that survey, I was hoping for like 30% to kind of justify what <laughs> yeah, we're doing. Justify what you're doing. Double. You and if you look at national, the national was around 82 or 83. It's huge. Well, I mean, if we're, if, I mean, I'm a realist, obviously. And so if we're talking about trying to love someone who's suffering an addiction, it's pretty damn hard. Yeah. And uh, they push themselves away. They push yeah. their friends and family away. A dog's coming to you no matter what. No, <laughs> they don't care. They don't care what you're doing or what you said or that the day before, maybe you even hit the dog. Yeah. Oh, no, they're coming back the next day. You know, as I had a conversation with a client at Methadone yesterday, it was really interesting because I was showing the posters. We were pilot testing them to see if they like them. And she said, oh, yeah, when I'm smoking marijuana, it doesn't matter. But when I make sure I open my window because I don't want the cat. To have <laughs> to that, right? And we've seen that in past studies and Kate's work and others around how do pets benefit our lives? And one of them they found overall just pets is around harm reduction. Interesting. We found that pets help reduce harm. Michelle Lem had a study in on Ottawa, right? Mm-hmm. With homeless youth mm-hmm. who said they did not use as much because they didn't want to be out of control for fear of their animal. Wow. So there was a lot so going using on. Using animals again for empathy and for yeah. Support. Yeah. Support. Yeah. Support. Right. right. Yeah. Definitely. So, where, so where can where can people find out more information about the work you guys are doing? I know you mentioned Odiomist. Do they have a website yeah. or where people yeah. can connect or donate to or Yeah. So we have a lot of our work on my website, uh, Colleen Dell dot 
C-A. <laughs> and Audiamus is A-U-D-E-A-M-U-S dot C-A. We also have a Facebook site with the therapy dogs called Annabelle and Subi's Adventures. So you can follow that. It's a public site if anyone wants to. Um, yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure there's links for all this as well. If anyone wants to read up really on the good. notes on our yeah. blog. We're going to do this backwards, but could you guys give a little bit of introductions about yourselves, your profession, kind of? Sure. Yeah. So I'm uh, Darlene speaking right now, and uh, I am uh, an associate professor here at the Faculty of Social Work, the University of Regina, and I'm located in at our campus in Saskatoon. I am a licensed social worker as well. In terms of my background, you know, I've done work in the area of courses, equine, equine programs over for for a long time ago, anyway, and training um, and education in that area. And then more recently with my own dog, uh, Ruby, and coming on board and um, involved in going through the service dog training through Audiamus with her. Just one of the things related to that, although I don't require a service dog. So Colleen and I are with our own dogs going through that training to understand as best we can what that might be like for a veteran, you know, experiencing whether that's a traumatic brain injury or PTSD, uh, just what it takes to be able to to do that training. So that's one of the things I'm doing right now. I'll pass it to Colleen. Yeah, we just talk about community-based research, right? To take on that, to do that. It's been interesting and a struggle. <laughs> and if I'm struggling, then I can't imagine how a veteran is doing with right. a traumatic brain injury, right? Um, yeah, so Colleen at the University of Saskatchewan, and we have Subi here. Do you want to? <laughs> <laughs> Sniffing. <laughs> Not a, his tail's wagging, though. <laughs> Nothing. Yeah, and I have a, I'm a professor and a research chair in One Health and Wellness, and I was a provincial research chair for nine years in addictions. So now I've melded the two areas around addictions and animals uh, into one. Yeah, because I just was at a point where I thought, we got to do this different. Right. We got to look at this different because things aren't getting better. They're not. Yeah. And so, yeah. So we're looking at things different. It's not always easy, but I think um, from what we see, again, it works. We need to know how. And and I do think some of that how part is not for us to know and we'll never know. Right. right? But at least we can do the best that we can as scientists, Um I guess, to, to try to figure that out so others can replicate that and do what it is that's working to help individuals. Great. Well, thanks a lot for the work you guys are both doing. Uh, I always like to finish out with one question. Uh, I'll ask Colleen first. Is addiction a healthcare issue, a criminal justice issue, or something different? I think it's a health issue, right? It's a health issue that impacts our criminal justice system. Is definitely health and the social determinants of health, yeah. right. poverty and so forth. Yeah, I'm and I'm going to add. I this definitely a health issue that just without a question, health in every every way, shape, and form. And I also think it's a community issue. Right. Yeah. And as a, as a community, whatever that community is, that um, we are all working toward um, supporting people. Maybe we can just end with this quote. This is from another project looking at culture, Indigenous cultures intervention. And there's so much to be learned because we talk about One Health, which is we need to look at the animals, humans, and environment, right? We need to look at the animals, humans, and environment. But really, that is an Indigenous worldview. And this is from our other project, Elder Dumont. 
in coming up with the understanding of wellness. He says, wellness from an Indigenous perspective is a whole and healthy person expressed through the sense of balance of spirit, emotion, mind, and body. Central to wellness is beliefs in one's connection to the land, to beings of creation, to language and ancestry supported by our caring family and environment. So kind of puts into perspective what we're trying to say. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a good note to end on. 